It was a great G20. We had 20 countries. <sighs> Actually, 47 countries in the G20, but, you know. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. It's his first time being I president. I something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where we will be going shortly here, 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, and finally... Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We're also streaming around the world and across the globe on the internets every day. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Coming up, as I said, we will head to beautiful Amish and Mennonite uh, country in central Pennsylvania, where yet another fight against yet another huge pipeline is now underway. And uh, this time it's not Native Americans leading the fight. It's an order of Catholic nuns and a Mennonite pastor, among others. Um, She will be joining us to discuss the uh, so-called Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline, uh, now set to uh, go smack dab through the nuns' land, uh, which is uh, to be seized under the use of uh, eminent domain by the federal government on behalf of this private pipeline company. I'm sure Sean Hannity will be out there to express his outrage at any minute like he used to when it came to eminent domain, when it was, you know, the Obama administration doing it, back when he pretended to be outraged by eminent domain and the theft of private property by the federal government. Uh, Speaking of the dangers wrought by our seemingly (laughs) unquenchable thirst for fossil fuels here in this country, or at least uh, our unquenchable thirst for profits for the private companies that extract those fossil fuels and and sell them. Have you seen this article, uh, Desi Doyen, in the uh, New York magazine? A lot of folks are freaking out about this. (laughs) Yes, Uh, yes, I have. I I haven't gotten to read it yet, but apparently uh, this article is getting a lot of attention because it warns that much of the Earth could become, what, unhabitable? Uninhabitable. Uninhabitable. Well, what this is... Within our lifetimes, correct? Yes, well, it's uh, it's more by the end of the century, but it's an article in the New York magazine, and it's it's very well written. It's very, um, very impactful, I think, and... And it presents 
uh, through this author, he has spoken with all these scientists who have specific areas, and he's asked them, tell me what the worst case scenario is. Not what's likely, not what you think is going to happen, but what is the worst case scenario where we are headed if we do nothing more than we are doing today? And that is the question that he asked them. They told him, he put that into an article, and it's very impactful, and it helps people see, hey, by the way, the worst case scenario is actually much worse and much closer than you think. So there's been a huge uh, hue and cry there among has science been a hue communicators and, and scientists. And uh, The Onion uh, did a fake survey. You know, The Onion. They're hysterical. They yeah. asked, uh, based on this article, they said, uh, uh, article predicts climate doomsday. What do you think? <laughs> and uh, they had, you know, their their fake responses. One of the hysterical responses was a woman saying, meh. Every year they predict human extinction within a century, and every year it doesn't happen. <laughs> so now that's a joke, uh, obviously. But but uh, the, the guy who is a TV weatherman in Phoenix, which just had a record heat wave pushing about 120 degrees for several days, several weeks, actually, in the desert. And I was out there for part of it. <laughs> uh, that TV weatherman on our you know, public airwaves, he wasn't joking, apparently, when he told viewers that it was nothing to worry about, just a part of Earth's natural warming, which has been going on slowly for the last 40,000 years. Of course, he's incredibly wrong, and he's using our public airwaves to do it, to misinform people. So that is that's just one of the items that we will be discussing, I suspect, in our uh, upcoming Green News Report today <laughs> when you will return for that, Desi yep. Doyen, and, and some of the real consequences of the liars uh, or dupes like that guy, James Quinones of KPNX in Phoenix, weatherman and misinformant. Uh, so we'll be back with that uh, Green News report in a bit. Uh, also, uh, you know, as we have warned, Republicans came out with their newest health care plan in the U.S. Senate today. We've been warning about this for several days as everyone has sort of been obsessed with the Trump investigations. Now, I don't have time uh, t again to go into the details, but here is the the newest version is largely what we warned you about yesterday on yesterday's show. They're removing some of the tax cuts for the rich, but they're keeping in all of the huge cuts to Medicaid. And and they're allowing for Ted Cruz's amendment, apparently, that will allow these worthless, skimpy insurance plans to be sold, uh, which only after you get sick uh, do you find out that they pretty much cover nothing at all. Your Band-Aid plan. Correct. Uh, my Band-Aid plan. I will insure you. I will Go to bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, sign up for $5 a month uh, or, or more. And and I will uh, supply you when you get sick with a Band-Aid. See, that's coverage. It's a low premium. It's only going to cost you $5 a month. See how I have lowered the premiums? Uh, that's kind of what uh, Ted Cruz is doing. Now, I don't know that this thing is going to get passed in the Senate. There's a, a huge amount of uh, uh, debate and trouble that senators are having, um, both on the right and the moderate senators here. Um, but I would not presume that they won't get something passed here. I believe that they will find a way if it can be done. So don't rest on any laurels here just because the Senate is confused. Um, call your senator if you like. Call your two senators if you like. Uh, their numbers are 202-224-3121. 
uh, and let them know about uh, what you think about cutting Medicaid uh, that will affect uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 million people. We'll get the CBO score on this bill next week. So uh, anyway, more on that later. Uh, But a vote could happen as early as next week on this. So right now, you are the only people protecting this country. Don't take that for granted. All right. um, Speaking of that weatherman in Phoenix and other people who don't know what they're talking about, Donald Trump. Yes, you uh, you heard what uh, Donald Trump said on the 700 Club interview yesterday at the top of the show. Here's here's actually what he said in full. I had a great it was a great G20. Mm -hmm. You had 20 countries. I got along, I think, really fantastically with the head of every country. Okay. Now, I'll set aside for now whether he got along well, fantastically, with the the heads of all the countries. Um, But uh, just so you know, there's actually 19 countries plus the European Union in the G20. That makes uh, the European Union has 28 countries in it. So 47 countries in the G20, not 20 countries. But as I said, you know, it's his first time being president. So we can overlook that, I guess. Um, but things that we can't overlook, uh, the the criminality and corruption of this administration. You you know my position, if you listen to this show, uh, on this whole Trump-Russia thing. You know, I think a lot of the media and the Democrats are leaning way too forward on this story, irresponsibly reporting a lot of it uh, you know, without actually seeing evidence, irresponsibly in fact, saber-rattling with a nuclear-armed country of Russia in the bargain. Um, you know, I think it's outrageous uh, to call this an attack on America, as Rachel Maddow, who I like, by the way. I love her reporting. I you know, think she's an excellent journalist. But on this one, I think she's leaning way too forward irresponsibly as a journalist. Um, anyway, that's what she now calls it, an attack on America. Nonetheless, um, well, we will find out what did or didn't happen, I hope, uh, in that so-called attack on America. We continue to learn more and more about how the Trump administration is responding to whatever happened. And if nothing happened at all, that's fine. But they still can't lie about it and they still can't lie on official forms and they still can't, you know, uh, obstruct justice And to that end now, a Democratic congressman has finally stepped forward to introduce an article of impeachment against Donald Trump. Two uh, Democratic Congress members, in fact, uh, introduced an article of impeachment against Donald Trump on Wednesday. This is the first formal effort to oust the president for high crimes and misdemeanors. Brad Sherman of California, who we've had on this show, said in a statement on his website that the Constitution does not provide for the removal of a president for impulsive, ignorant incompetence, but it does provide for the removal of a president for high crimes and misdemeanors. The article, which is co-sponsored by Congressman Al Green, Democrat from Texas, accuses Donald Trump of seeking to use his authority to hinder and cause the termination of the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, including through threatening and then terminating FBI Director James Comey. As the investigation moves forward, it says, uh, he says in his statement, additional evidence supporting additional articles of impeachment may emerge. However, as to obstruction of justice as defined by 
18 U.S.C. section 1512b3, the evidence that we have is sufficient to move forward now, and the national interest requires that we do. And I agree. Uh, that's the way to move forward in Congress, particularly if they won't put in place a um, a, uh, a special uh, a special commission to uh, look into this and to bring all of the information forward publicly. Um, the special counsel is fine, but they do their investigation in secret. This should all be made public. It should all be made public. What is our government doing? What did our government know and when did it know it? And yet a lot of Democratic leadership is very unhappy with Brad Sherman and Al Green. Um, they reported in uh, The Hill reported back in June that Sherman's draft article of impeachment had riled House Democratic leadership. They felt that uh, he could not fully support such an article. But remember, impeachment is an investigation. It is not a trial. And that investigation should begin. And Democrats, just on a political sense, they need to step up. They need to step up their game or they need to move on to something else. Um, but I think articles of impeachment are perfectly appropriate. You know that had this been uh, a Democrat who had done even uh, an iota of what we already know that this administration has done. There would be dozens of articles of impeachment already filed. They so, would be falling all yep, over themselves. They would. So uh, I, I do support that effort. Uh, at, in the meantime, at a press conference in Paris today with French President Emmanuel Macron, Donald Trump claimed that his son's meeting with a Russian lawyer who claimed to have damaging information on Hillary Clinton was just a normal campaign activity. It was just standard op uh, opposition research. Many would have done the same thing, he said. I think from a practical standpoint, uh, most people would have taken that meeting. It's called opposition research or even research into your opponent. Uh, but... Nothing happened from the meeting. Zero happened from the meeting. And honestly, I think the press made a very big deal over something that really a lot of people would do. Yeah, OK. So a lot of people would do that. Huffington Post asked some veterans of Republican presidential candidates if a lot of people would do that. They say, no, a lot of people would not do that. They say, absolutely not. Uh, veterans of several Republican presidential campaigns say they would never have taken a meeting like the one attended by Donald Trump Jr. last year in June, just weeks before his father officially became the uh, Republican presidential nominee. Rick Tyler, a former top aide to the presidential campaign of Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Oh, I remember him. Uh, boy, you know he would be filing articles of impeachment by now had <laughs> any of this been reversed. Anyway, um, so his campaign manager said he would have called the FBI if approached by any foreign agent from uh, a nation like Russia. Senior presidential campaign officials don't take meetings with nameless people. That doesn't happen, said Tyler. When a similar event happened back in 2000 to the Al Gore presidential campaign, they did call the FBI. Stuart Stevens, the chief strategist um, for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, noted that during that 2000 presidential campaign, debate preparation materials from the campaign of then Texas Governor George W. Bush were mysteriously mailed to the campaign of then Vice President Al Gore. 
Thomas Downey, uh, who was Gore's debate coach, contacted the FBI when he realized the package contained leaked information from Bush's campaign, despite uh, you know, the good that could have uh, come of that for his own camp, for the Al Gore campaign. So, no, not everyone would have done it. Um, everyone would not act as this uh, as this campaign is uh, currently acting. Here was a uh, vice president, Mike Pence's spokesperson, Mark Lauder, on Fox News of all places. And kudos to Bill Hammer of Fox News for pressing him on this point. A simple question. Did Mike Pence uh, meet with anyone uh, from Russia? Did the vice president ever meet with representatives from Russia? Uh, the vice president is is uh, is not focused on the areas where uh, you know on this campaign, especially things that happened before he was uh, even on the ticket. Uh, as he has said that when he joined the campaign, his entire focus was on talking to the American people, taking the case that President Trump was going to make to the American people, and doing everything he could to make sure that uh, he and President Trump were elected, sent to yeah, Washington. I, I understand. Now his focus yeah. is getting that agenda accomplished. Fully aware of the statement there. Uh, just come back to this question: If it wasn't a private citizen from Russia. Did he ever meet with representatives from the Russian government during the campaign? Yeah, that, that stuff that the, the special prosecutors and the councils are all looking at, I can tell you that, that, that in all my time with the vice president, I knew he, that he was focused entirely on talking to the American people. Just and, to uh, nail this down so we're clear, is that a yes sir or no? Did he or <laughs> did he not? And, and was it relevant, in fact? I'm not aware of anything uh, that I have seen. All of the focus that I saw with uh, Vice President Pence during the campaign and since then has been focused on working the agenda that the people sent him to uh, Washington to accomplish. I think that's a no. That's sort of hard to tell. Seems like it'd be a simple question. uh, Yeah. And and kudos to Bill Hemmer of Fox News for pressing that guy, Mark Lauder, Pence's spokesperson, three times. Listen, I don't care. If you meet with somebody from Russia, I know a lot of people are freaked out about that. That does not bother me. But why won't these people tell the truth? Yes or no, one way or another. Now, that was uh, Pence's spokesperson. So, you know, maybe he he doesn't know one way or another, I guess. I don't know. But um, what is Jeff Sessions's excuse? A day late, uh, the Justice Department complied finally just today, just this morning with a federal court order. This came a day late. Um, The Justice Department is late in following a federal court order, in any event, uh, in releasing part of the security clearance form dealing with Attorney General Jeff Sessions' contacts with foreign governments. Uh, In June, a judge had given 30 days for them to come in with this uh, with this information that was requested in a federal um, Freedom of Information Act request back in March. And this was for Jeff Sessions' standard Form 86. This relates to his security clearance, uh, and it asks a simple question. Have you or any of your immediate family in the past seven years, with the past seven years, and that's bolded in the, uh, the bold font in the original, uh, had any contact with a foreign government, its establishment, such as embassy, consulate, agency, military service, intelligence or security service, etc., or its representatives, whether inside or outside the U.S.? That's a pretty sweeping question. And it should be a pretty simple one. Jeff Sessions checked the box that said no. Now, we know that he uh, has admitted, finally, to speaking with uh, Russia's ambassador at least twice in 2016 alone. He's been a senator for many years, but 
Uh, no, he hasn't met with any contact with any foreign government, its establishment. It's a, so he did not disclose that uh, in his confirmation hearings, and he did not disclose it. Or actually, he lied about it on his uh, on his standard form for security clearance. Why? Why would they lie about it? Just tell the truth. And then Donald Trump's son did the same. Jared Kushner had to amend his application for his security clearance three separate times, adding more than 100 names to the list of foreign contacts. Why? Why are they lying about this? Or, I guess, forgetting. I guess he forgot those 100 different uh, foreign contacts that he had, uh, Jared Kushner had. Why are they lying about it? Uh, you know, and that in and of itself is a crime, by the way. Now, uh, Donald Trump said, uh, I think today that he just or actually I guess this was yesterday and in his interview with Reuters that he had only heard about uh, his son's meeting, Jared Kushner's. Uh, well, Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, their meeting with this Russian attorney. He says he only heard about it a few days ago. Um. We will find out if he only heard about it a few days ago. Two people familiar with um, this uh, with this meeting says that uh, this was uh, this form that Kushner's form was amended some time ago and uh, that he told uh, Donald Trump about that meeting some time ago. So Donald Trump may have been lying about that. What the hell is going on anyway? Putting it out there for now. Um, all right, we got to get, uh, get to a quick break here, but let me hit this real quick. After years of battling Canadian pipeline giant TransCanada over the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, Nebraska rancher Bob Allpress is taking an unusual step to protect land that has been in his family since 1886. Allpress plans to install solar panels in the middle of a one-and-a-half-mile-long strip of land, which would be a proposed pipeline route that bisects his 900-acre ranch, and TransCanada has threatened to take that land by force through the legal process known as eminent domain. He says not only would they have to invoke eminent domain against us, they would have to tear down solar panels that provide good, clean power to the grid and jobs for the people who build them in order to do it. Uh, and this he's not the only one uh, doing this. Just He's just the latest example of a growing number of demonstrations against pipelines. Uh, like this. Last year, for example, pipeline opponents built a replica of the cabin belonging to Henri Thoreau, Henry Thoreau, uh, one of the environmental movement's founding fathers, along another proposed natural gas pipeline route in Massachusetts. And after a quick break here, we will be back with the story of the group of nuns in Pennsylvania who are none too happy. <laughs> About a uh, huge pipeline set to go straight through their private property and now straight through a chapel constructed directly in the pipeline's path. That story and the pastor who is working with those sisters at the Adorers of the Blood of Christ uh, to try to stop it, uh, the next Dakota Access Pipeline protest? Maybe. That story is next. She will join us next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs>
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, they are. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, the sisters are doing it for themselves. This past Sunday, in a clearing of a cornfield in rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, in the beautiful central part of the Keystone State, An outdoor chapel built on land owned by a Catholic order of nuns, the Adorers of the Blood of Christ, dedicated their new chapel with several hundred supporters in attendance. The open-air chapel sits smack dab in the root of the planned extension of the Transco natural gas pipeline, cheerily called... The Atlantic Sunrise, as our friends at Grist.com note. What could be nicer, after all, than an Atlantic Sunrise? The extension, once built and completed, would run 183 miles across Pennsylvania, and its path is set to go right through lands belonging to the nuns of the adorers of the blood of Christ. As Grist notes, the sisters are not having it. Earlier this year, the nuns allowed the nonprofit Lancaster Against Pipelines group to help build the chapel in the cornfield on their land in West Hemfield Township near a retirement community operated by the order. The nuns believe that having this structure on their land for however long gives tangible witness to the sacredness of earth, according to a statement issued last week by the adorers. Their bare-bones outdoor structure with benches in front of a makeshift altar is open to the public and welcomes all members, uh, all faiths, and, uh, and was built in response to a federal agency, the Federal Energy Regulation uh, Regulatory Commission, or FERC, which granted permission for Williams Partners, the Oklahoma-based company behind the pipeline, to use eminent domain to seize and build on private lands. In this case, the private lands owned by the Order of Catholic Nuns. The order has yet to go into effect, but in response to the construction of their chapel, the Williams Partners Corporation went to court to file an emergency order to hasten the seizure of the adorers' lands. A court hearing on the matter is now scheduled for July 17. The sisters say the pipeline would violate the adorers' land ethic, which calls for them to, quote, honor the sacredness of all creation. Harkening back to the fight over the Dakota Access Pipeline protest by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe in South Dakota last year, Grist observes, quote, it seems like pipelines have a bad habit of encroaching on sacred spaces. The grassroots group Lancaster Against Pipelines, who oppose the pipeline and assisted the sisters, is also building other structures in the path of the proposed $3 billion pipeline in preparation of a possible encampment to block construction similar to the efforts to block the Dakota Access Pipeline last year. Joining us now to discuss the effort is co-founder of the nonprofit Lancaster Against Pipelines and the associate pastor at the Community 
Mennonite Church of Lancaster in beautiful rural southern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where she also grew up. Pastor Melinda Harnish Clatterbuck. And uh, by the way, that's also home to our great Lancaster affiliate station, WLRI 92.9 News Radio. Uh, Melinda is also an educator, community organizer, and counselor in the area and a board member of the Pennsylvania Community Rights Network fighting against the imbalance of corporate power and profits over the people in the Keystone State. Pastor Melinda Harnish Clatterbuck, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. It's very nice to be with you today. Great to have you here, uh, Melinda. According to a, uh, a Lancaster Online report I saw, a uh, Williams Partner attorney, that's the company building the pipeline, uh, told uh, U.S. District Judge Jeffrey Schmiel during a hearing last week that this modest wooden chapel structure in part of the cornfield would cause, quote, irreparable harm to the pipeline project. Now, that irreparable harm, irreparable harm argument strikes me as a bit silly and particularly ironic, given what you all are fighting to block. And I don't know if the judge bought their argument or not, but why are you and the sisters here opposing this pipeline in Pennsylvania in the first place? Yes, it's funny. I hadn't heard that language used before. I was not able to be present. I was at a convention in Florida during the hearing. And so um, irreparable harm, it's really ironic that they would use that language when the harm that they're proposing to do, not just to Lancaster County, but to the whole extension of central Pennsylvania with this pipeline, would be violating the waterways, 380-some waterways this pipeline would be crossing. And it would be going through over 250 wetlands and permanently fragmenting over 44 um, deep uh, forests. And I feel like that's irreparable harm that we're really pushing back against because those of us in this movement and a lot of people in Lancaster County reverence the land. Mm -hmm. We live off of the land. We understand that um, agricultural um, is a part, the agricultural work we do here in Lancaster is a part of our economy, but also has created in those of us who live here an understanding and appreciation for clean air, clean water, clean soil, because that's where we get our food. Yep. It is what we live from. And so um, the audacity of an industry to uh, feel as though they have an entitlement to put a pipeline wherever they want to mm. is unfathomable to me. So right now, um, the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline um, is the, the part that we're pushing back against is the central Penn Line South, which is a new right-of-way. It's a 42-inch pipeline, high pressure, mm. and it is a shortcut. They already have existing right-of-ways that get the natural gas from where they're fracking it to where they want it to go, which is mostly uh, export facilities in the Gulf of Mexico and at Cove Point in Maryland when that is up and running. It's been contracted, 80% of it contracted to go abroad. I, I got to tell you, I am uh, particularly uh, uh, taken by the argument about the land there and uh, how beautiful it is. I, I can yeah. relate to it. I used to uh, live not far uh, from where I believe you guys are uh, in the mm -hmm. Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton area. Uh, we lived there some. I know that area well. I <laughs> did, yeah. It's beautiful there. And so I'm particularly troubled by this. Uh, i got to say, has the uh, Williams Partners Company tried to work with your group in, in any way here, uh, Lancaster Against Pipelines and or the sisters? Have they uh, tried to work, tried to accommodate your concerns in any way? 
I would say that some landowners would say um, that Williams has moved it on their property to the right or to the left, but one of our arguments at Lancaster Against Pipelines, when we since we've been established, has been not in my backyard, not in my neighbor's backyard. Mm. We're not NIMBY. We're not saying that, um, like, I value Lancaster. I feel like Lancastrians value the beauty of the land here in a different way because we're so close to the earth. We live close to the earth. It's hard when there's concrete between you and the earth to understand that value, and, mm. and I could be biased because I grew up in the country. <laughs> um, but I feel like there's a gratitude in our community here that values it and is fighting for the protection of that land, not just in Lancaster, but all along this pipeline. When? So I agree with you that it's beautiful and yeah. it's worth saving, but when you start doing research like we did, like I got a knock on my door in March of 2014 for a surveyor who asked can I get on your property to survey it for this pipeline that's coming through? I was like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And it was originally to come right through my backyard, cutting down trees for a permanent right-of-way on trees that had been in my family since 1971, which is most of my lifetime. And I didn't give permission, but I started doing research. And fracking doesn't take place in Lancaster County. So we're pretty clueless about the damages of fracking. But mm. in the process of realizing these pipelines, the, the pipeline infrastructure that's being built out in Pennsylvania is affecting a lot of small communities, um, led us to where's the source? And the source is the fracking area of Marcellus Shale. And we came to realize in our research and studies, we visited drill sites, and we realized that 2 to 5 million gallons of water is used consumptively per well drill, mm -hmm. drilling well. And, th and that means consumptively that it is poisoned. The water is poisoned and destroyed and cannot go back into the water system. And so there's a, a, a collective concern of how much water in Pennsylvania is being used to go to fracking in um, an irreparable, if we want to use that word again, mm -hmm. an irreparable damage that it's doing to our earth that is going, I mean, water, is it a commodity? Water, it, clean water is a necessity for life of human beings. Mm -hmm. And when we're destroying so much of it and when we're, taking that wastewater and injecting it into injection wells back into the earth, which are now we know causing earthquakes in Oklahoma and mm -hmm. Texas and Ohio. Like, at what point do we say the damage is too much for the gain of an industry to make money off of this natural resource? Melinda, when did uh, the, the Federal Energy Regula uh, Regulatory Commission, FERC, uh, when did they for, uh, approve the use of eminent domain here to take the land from the private owners? Was this under the Obama administration's FERC? It it was um, it was February third, so it would have been under Trump's. It wouldn't have mattered, I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm just trying um, to get a yes. sense of the timeline because yes, it was February third, and um, there are usually five commissioners uh -huh. who serve um, as the decision-making um, government of FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and there they were down to three, and one of them was going to resign, mm. and so they pushed through early permission. Um, February 3rd for a number of uh, projects, including the ASP, but it was with a 100-page list of um, things that needed to be met yet before they could start construction, and all of those permits have not yet been given. So FERC gave permission, kind of putting the cart before the horse, saying, yes, when you get all these things in line, we're saying we're giving you permission because it's possible that when you get all your ducks in order and we're ready to get permission, we won't have a quorum. They need to have they at least to rush three through. people, yeah. and so they gave early permission February 3rd, 
And I, I assume there was no uh, appropriate environmental impact study as we there saw. Was. There was. Oh, there was. Um, but if you do research on um, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and the, in the required impact studies, environmental impact studies mm-hmm. that they do, um, they're sometimes required if there is enough concern that the people raise saying this is going to impact the environment in a way that we have a lot of concern then. FERC will say, okay, industry, whichever one it happens to be, here it was Williams, you have to do an impact study. You hire all of your own professionals to do those studies and give us results from the professionals that you've hired and you're paying. And then you give us all of that information about how you're going to cross all the waterways and what damage that's going to do and how you're going to mitigate that damage. And we'll decide whether it's significant or not significant. FERC has never decided that the impact to the environment is significant enough in any project to say no to the industry. So it is basically a false hoop that the industry has to run through. It's money they have to spend, and all they have to do is really prove how they're going to mitigate any damage that is done. And that was found uh, to be the case up in in South Dakota. I mentioned the Dakota Access Pipeline after it was built. Now the court, now the judge has said, well, they did not do a proper environmental impact. Well, that's great because the oil in that case is already flowing. Uh, The reason I ask you about uh, which administration this was is because, uh, Melinda, the, uh, the Trump administration and Republicans Republicans for years uh, have made much of uh, the religious rights and uh, religious freedoms argument. They sided, mm-hmm. for example, with the Little Sisters of the Poor, this Catholic right. group which objected to the birth control provisions in Obamacare, uh, even though, by the way, they were allowed to opt out of those provisions. So I'm guessing the state and federal Republicans and the Trump administration is now going to be coming in and backing you in this fight uh, backing at least the, 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 the adorers of the blood of Christ in this fight. Yeah, um, that is yet to be seen. We shall see uh, if that happens. I will be surprised because I have found that there are certain ideologies that are more important to some people than others and where money is involved. Mm-hmm. Where there's more money, there's more power. And so the industry has a lot of money and they have a lot of influence, especially in Pennsylvania where there is a lot of Marcellus shale drilling. Um, this is a violation of the rights of the nuns. I think there's no doubt about that. Their land ethic is um, very clear. Uh, it was the one that you can find on their website was written in 2005, but it is um, a continuation of an ethic that they've lived out their entire existence. I think they were, um, uh, when were they founded? In the 1830s, and mm. they've been here on this property in Lancaster since the 1920s. They've been and on that always, same property for all of those years. That's correct. Wow. Yeah, and. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, that this, actually, this brings up another point. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, if if the Republicans are going to pick and choose which uh, nuns they choose to support, uh, similarly, Fox News and their hosts like Sean yeah. Hannity, for years mm-hmm. they have expressed outrage, uh, at least during the Obama administration, you know, regarding the government's use of eminent domain to take mm-hmm. over private land. And in this case, um, one of the land, Tracy Landis, uh, she's a property owner where uh, you guys, uh, I, I we guess. We know her well. Yeah, yeah. well, mm-hmm. she had built a, a deer stand, uh, I mm-hmm. guess, in January, also in the path of the uh, of the proposed pipeline. She was quoted in a report earlier this year saying, this is our yard. We moved there for the privacy, and we're going to do everything we can to fight this because nobody should have the right to steal your property to make a profit off it. Well, yes. 
Fox News, you know, and Sean Hannity, uh, they've been highlighting folks like that when they're talking about other issues uh, concerning eminent domain uh, Mm -hmm. for years. Have you heard from Fox News or Sean Hannity on uh, on this fight? Uh, That that was from January. So and and I know CNN has covered this, uh, the sisters new chapel. So surely Fox knows about it by now. Have has uh, Sean Hannity swooped in there uh, yet, Melinda? We have not. We have not had any support from our elected officials, who are almost all Republican in this area. And we're uh, 501c3, and so we're really careful not to um, support specific candidates, but mm-hmm. we're really, really um, interested in supporting uh, ideas and, and people who vote to protect our rights. And we haven't found that we have many people here who are willing to do that. We have had elected officials in Pennsylvania who are introducing legislation right now that would challenge um it's kind of a bullying tactic we tactic we feel it's uh scott martin who is proposing uh state legislation that would uh require any pro any protesters who are trying to stop the build out of infrastructure for the fossil fuel industry to pay for any kind of police that are called out when they're doing actions so forcing them to pay for any kind of response to even nonviolent direct action oh, that people Lord. do is is what the message we're hearing, which is a concern. It hasn't been voted on yet, but our elected officials, we feel, have been working against us the, actively. The uh, In a statement reported by CNN, the, the pipeline company here, Williams Partner, said the, the company respects the right to protest peacefully. Uh, adding, uh, uh, quote, with the exception of the width of the construction right-of-way, this structure, referring to this open-air chapel that was uh, dedicated on Sunday, mm-hmm. can be placed anywhere else on the property without issue. So, uh, Melinda, you and the, the sisters, you, you all can move your chapel elsewhere out of the way of their pipeline, according to uh, the company. Your, your response to that? But isn't that amazing how, how um, arrogant they are? It's not their property. This is the nuns' property. They haven't gained access to this land yet. And the nuns have the right to do on their property what they want, right? I mean, isn't this America? Don't people, don't landowners have the right to do on their property what they want? And these are prayerful um, people who have called those in the community who agree that this land is sacred, who want to spend their faith time in prayer in a location where they can actually focus on protecting the sacredness of the land right there in that space. That's their right as landowners to do. And, and Williams, I'd just like to say, does not have, access, have a possession of the land yet. And if they gain that land possession, um, I would say that it's falsely gained <laughs> and unjustly gained. And I think the community, there's no thinking about it. I'm certain the community of believers who want to challenge William's arrogance and William's greed are going to be in that chapel prayerfully protesting when William tries to take it over. Well, what about the uh, what about the rest of the community? The, uh, mm-hmm. the, the FERC uh, has declared that this uh, natural gas pipeline will have a quote less than significant impact on the area, mm-hmm. uh, despite the I think it's 1.7 billion cubic feet of natural gas a day that will travel through it uh, in, in central Pennsylvania. But the company uh, spokesperson Chris Stockton argues that Pennsylvania is going to benefit tremendously. 
from having the additional infrastructure that will allow more gas to make it to market. There's an economic benefit when that happens, uh, he says, on behalf of the company. So what's the argument that the impact is small here environmentally and that the benefits, uh, particularly economically, are large for everyone in Pennsylvania? Yeah, a number of things. Um, first of all, most of the jobs for the construction of the pipeline will be from outside of the state. Um, they need people who are, have uh, specialty skills in welding and other things. And so already Williams has acknowledged when talking with Lancaster County Commissioners that the only benefit locally will be housing the workers and also uh, straw bales that they may be buying for water erosion to try and keep from uh, water eroding uh, in the construction zones. So there's no benefit for workers. There will be benefit for American workers from other states, but the, the argument for local is, is a false argument. Um, I think the permanent job number is like 12 or 18 for the whole pipeline through Pennsylvania after the construction. 12, so, 12 or 18 people? That's correct. Okay. 12 or 18 people. Not 1,200, not 1,800. No, no. Okay, because these no. numbers have a way of getting inflated uh, when they're making these arguments. No, 12 or 18 individual people who will have permanent jobs as a result of this pipeline, which, you know, that's 12 people that have a job. That's great. But when you're talking about the benefit of the natural gas that we're getting to people, and they constantly put out their 1.7 decatherms will be traveling through this line, they, and they say, well, heat, uh, what, 700 million homes. Mm-hmm. But they don't mention that a lot of those homes are in India and China. Hmm. I mean, there's this assumption. They give little pieces of facts that are giving part of the truth. But they're not being fully honest. And when challenged, there have been times, um, Alan Armstrong, the CEO of Williams, has come out saying that his desire and excitement of the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline Project is going to benefit Williams' ability to export gas and be more competitive on the global world. Um, So so that's great for Williams. Yeah. But at what cost? Exactly. The profit goes to the, the, the company, not necessarily to the people. Have uh, some of these people, like the sisters in this case, uh, you, you had mentioned um, uh, or I mentioned the other uh, woman who has uh, who has built this deer stand yes. on her property in the back. Tracy ha- Landis. Yes. Ha- have, are, have they been offered uh, money? Are there other property owners who have been offered money who have said, oh, great, I'll take that money. Sure, no problem. There are certainly lots of landowners who have accepted money. We have neighbors who have accepted money all along the line, some early on. And um, I can honestly tell you, I've only talked to two people who accepted it who are excited about the pipeline. And one of them was Amish, who said when the surveyors came and talked to him, they told him that if he waited till eminent domain, that the government would give Williams the permission to take his land and pay him nothing. And so he had no choice, and he signed on so he could mm. get some money. Otherwise, they'd use his, land, use his land anyway, and he'd get nothing. So was there a miscommunication there that he misunderstood what the man said? I don't know. When I challenged him and said, that's not true, the surveyors aren't being honest with you, he said, well, they're the professionals. Like, they know what they're doing. I've sat in the yard with neighbors of mine who cried because... Because they were losing their woods, and they still signed because they said there's nothing we can do. We have no power. The government has given the industry the right to exploit us. Our rights have been taken away, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I said, it's an unjust law. This is unethical. And our movement is about us standing up to try and change a systemic problem where industry continues to exploit communities wrongly. 
I'll tell you uh, photos from the uh, dedication ceremony on Sunday and that sort of cut out part of the cornfield on uh, on Sunday uh, with, with all the people there. Kind of reminded me of that Kevin Costner movie, A Field of Dreams, with the baseball field in the Iowa cornfield. If you right. build it, they will yeah. come. Yeah. Uh, Melinda, I got just a, a minute here. It was yeah. inspiring to see that, and I know that the uh, South Dakota... Uh, the, the Standing Rock Sioux and that fight was was a bit of an inspiration for you. Um, yes. wh- what is uh, next here in in this mm-hmm. court battle? And are you uh, going to build other structures along the route uh, as well? Yeah, we. Um, I don't know that we have any plans to build other structures. Not that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, what's coming next is we have been. Um, motivating people, mobilizing people to understand what we mean by nonviolence because our stance is clearly nonviolent, no violence against people, no violence against possessions. We will not wear masks. We are not the criminals here. We don't plan on trying to hide um, from law enforcement. We've been appealing to law enforcement to say, will you help protect our rights against the industry who's coming in and violating them? So we've been working really hard to get people who have signed pledges. We have a pledge that over 900 people have signed saying, we will come and do nonviolent direct action with you. We have trainings regularly on weekends, and we have had over 500, close to 600 people who have come out and gone through our training so they understand who we are um, and what we mean by nonviolence so that we're all in unity and standing arm to arm against the industry when the bulldozers come and we're standing between the land destructors, destroyers, and the land itself. How can so uh, that? Yeah. Go ahead. I wanted to ask, how can people who are not in the immediate area there, how can your effort be helped? Donations? Are you having gatherings? What can people outside right. the area do to help? Yeah, there are certainly ways to donate on our website, um, wearelancastercounty.org, and also follow our Facebook page. We have the stand, the, the Lancaster Stand Facebook page, and also um, Lancaster Against Pipelines Facebook page. We, we have events posted of what's coming up. We have a training for action coming up the first weekend in August, a two-day training coming up that we're excited about. And um, I think just to be aware of what's happening in your community and get involved where you are, if you live anywhere in the world, like you could come here, but we don't have a lot of space. It's not Standing Rock here. We don't have just <laughs> unlimited space for people to come and live. We are concerned about infiltrators coming in and being violent and trying to be the face of our movement. So we're very aware of all those possibilities that would give the police a right to be violent against us. So it was so great to partner with the um, nuns with the chapel because it brought in another group of people who really feel like a part of their faith is to protect the land and take care of the creation that God has given us. And and um, as a Mennonite and Anabaptist, we're committed to non- I'm committed to nonviolence, but also um, we really focus on the teachings of Jesus. And if we want to live out our lives as Jesus taught, I think the most important thing is to focus on who Jesus was. And he taught us to always side with the marginalized and those who are oppressed. And um, I, I feel like in this situation that what we can best do is is work for peace, which means working for justice, because otherwise, to pretend that there's peace when there isn't equality and there isn't justice, it's a false peace, and that's not what Jesus taught. And so best way to support is to contact us personally and ask to come, and we'll interview people and talk with people and then let you know what we're about so you are willing to become a part of our nonviolence before you start doing actions with us. And I want to make does sure that, that makes sense? It yeah. does, yeah. And I want to yeah. make sure that you, we have the uh, the right website there, because I had a yes. different one. So you, you're saying it's wearelancastercounty.org? Yes. 
That's correct. I gave you the wrong way for I'm sorry. Lancaster, wearelancastercounty.org is our website. Very good. Wearelancastercounty.org. Uh, you can also contact the uh, Lancaster Against Pipelines group on the Twitters at yes. no Lank Pipelines. It's L-A-N-C for Lank. No mm-hmm. Lank Pipelines. Uh, Pastor Melinda Harnish-Clatterbuck, she's the co-founder of that group, Lancaster Against Pipelines, and the associate pastor at the Community Mennonite Church of Lancaster uh, in beautiful central Pennsylvania. Uh, Melinda, really appreciate your time here. Good luck with this in court. Please stay in touch with us as this, uh, as this uh, righteous fight moves forward. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Brad. You bet. Okay, running late, a quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and probably a few more rants or two. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation, or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. But with no time for chatter, let's get to it. Our latest green news report. Ice shelves there and elsewhere around Antarctica are really kind of the canaries in the coal mine. Iceberg the size of Delaware finally breaks off of Antarctica. The system will be three times more powerful than any system on Earth. Tesla will build the world's biggest battery in 100 days or it's free. Trump's EPA moves to revive the controversial pebble mine in Alaska. Plus, France moves to phase out coal and the internal combustion engine. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Ever since the last ice age ended, about 40,000 years ago, we've been warming ever since then. So we're continuing and the earth goes through these cycles where we cool and we warm. And that's what we are right now. We're on a warming trend. Hey, James Quinones, weatherman from KPNX in Phoenix. Why don't you learn what the hell you're talking about before you go on the air and misinform Phoenix? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Phoenix just went through one of their worst heat waves ever, and you've got weathermen either not explaining what's going on to the people of Phoenix or just lying to them like James Quinones. Sorry, 
it makes me really angry. Yeah, I can tell. I'm not even a weatherman, but I try to learn what the hell I'm talking about before I say it. Anyway... What do you have for us today in the Green News Report? Well, one of the and don't screw it up. Well, one of the largest (laughs) icebergs ever recorded just broke free from Antarctica, according to British scientists and NASA satellite images. The much-watched, fast-growing crack across the massive Larsen Sea ice shelf finally broke off sometime between Monday and Wednesday, calving an iceberg the size of Delaware, more than 600 feet deep, containing enough ice to cover all 50 states in. More than four inches of ice. It's so big that maps of Antarctica will have to be revised. It won't raise sea levels by itself because the ice shelf was already sitting in the water, but its loss will likely accelerate the slide of land ice behind it into the sea. It's a further sign that Antarctica's ice sheets are destabilizing. Now, there is some controversy about whether this would have happened with or without global warming. Is there anything definitive yet either way? As of now, there's no consensus, there's disagreement among scientists, but it is consistent with what they've predicted. So when there's no facts to support something, we don't claim there is. At the same time, when there are facts to support something, we don't lie about it to the public, James Quinones, weatherman of KPNX in Phoenix. Meanwhile, the Environmental Protection Agency is taking a first step in reviving the controversial proposed pebble mine in Alaska's Bristol Bay watershed. That's despite overwhelming opposition from residents, tribes, environmental groups, and the commercial fishing industry, and despite being rejected by the Obama administration on the grounds that the mine's toxic waste would harm the world's largest salmon fishery. The EPA has opened up a new public comment period for folks to weigh in on whether they think that mine should go forward. Well, poisoning the food supply is one thing. Making money is another. Keep your priorities straight, Ms. Doyen. In Australia, Tesla CEO Elon Musk is making good on his offer to build the world's biggest battery for the province of South Australia. Cool. South Australia suffered massive blackouts earlier this year after a tropical storm downed power lines, and Australia's conservative leadership falsely blamed that on renewable energy. Musk has now signed a contract to build a $50 million battery system in 100 days or it's free. In a press conference, Musk said he made the bet to prove the concept and to prove that the people who are blaming renewable energy were wrong there was really this opportunity to make um, a significant statement about renewable energy to the world to show that you can really do uh, a heavy-duty large-scale utility-level battery system. In China, a rural province served as a real-world testing ground to prove that it is possible to switch to 100% renewable energy on a regional scale. For a full week in mid-June, 6 million people in a rural region in northwest China used only renewable energy, hydroelectric, wind, and solar power for all of their electricity needs. It was an amount equivalent to burning more than 500,000 tons of coal. The test reportedly came off without a hitch, with no grid reliability issues and without all the pollution. Finally, France has announced it will phase out all internal combustion engines by 2040. It's part of a new series of energy measures unveiled by French President Emmanuel Macron to make his country carbon neutral by 2050. France will also stop granting licenses for new oil and gas exploration and will phase out coal for generating electricity by 2022. Wow, the rest of the world is doing some fascinating things when it comes to renewable energy. Yes, they are. Thank you very much for more 
on all of these stories and the many that we didn't have time for, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Phoenix from the place We will rise together Oh, that guy from Phoenix drives me crazy. I gotta get out here. It's a short drive. I know. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to my guest today, Pastor Melinda Harnish-Clatterbuck of the of Lancaster Against Pipelines, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com and find, follow, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters worldwide. Uh, we are simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Got to get out. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.